Hello, it's Friday, March 4th. I'm Daniel Williams, and this is the MGMA Week in Review, where each week we bring you some of the most important, interesting, and inspiring stories happening in healthcare leadership and medical practices today. We begin this week with an article on payer prior authorization requirements. For medical groups navigating their recovery from the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic, there's only one thing nearly all of them have in common. Payer prior authorization requirements have not eased up in the past year. A March 1st MGMA stat poll asked medical groups, how did payer prior authorization requirements change in the past 12 months? Nearly 80% said it increased. We received some member feedback from this survey. Prior authorization, a utilization management tool used by health plans to control costs, has been on the rise for years. Since 2016, MGMA members have reported that they have experienced an increase in PA requirements over the prior year. Notably, MGMA members reported the following as their most significant challenges associated with rising prior authorization requirements. First, lack of response or slow response from payers for approvals. An increased time spent by practice staff working to secure prior authorizations. A lack of automation in payers' PA processes. And finally, delays in patient care due to lack of PA. The legislation reintroduced this Congress would put guardrails on Medicare Advantage plan prior authorization requirements. More specifically, the Improving Seniors Timely Access to Care Act would increase transparency around MA prior authorization requirements. Since the bill was drafted using a set of principles agreed upon by plans and providers in 2018, we hope to see it passed into law before the end of the year. Sign up for MGMA STAT, where you can have your voice heard in our weekly polls. Sign up by texting STAT to 33550 or visit mgma.com STAT. Polls will be sent to your phone via text message. Our next article looks at more regulatory news. MGMA to Congress, extend Medicare sequester moratorium. Last Friday, MGMA and 50 other leading healthcare organizations sent a letter to Congress urging for an extension of the 2% Medicare sequester moratorium that has been in effect since 2020. Specifically, the letter asks that they extend the full moratorium for the duration of the COVID-19 public health emergency. Without this extension, the Medicare sequester will phase in at 1% this April and return to the full 2% this July. Prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, the 2% Medicare sequester was in effect for almost a decade. It's unlikely that the moratorium will last indefinitely. Instead, it will most likely require greater reform. To keep up with the latest advocacy and regulatory news, go to mgma.com slash advocacy. 
I'll leave you this week with an article on the top 10 tips for beating burnout. This article was written by Dr. Jeff Comer for Psychology Today. It seems that anytime I ask if someone is burned out, I get an immediate, of course, I'm burned out. But when I ask what he or she is doing about it, I get a blank stare. Although the DSM-5 does not address burnout, burnout is a stress-induced condition as defined by the World Health Organization. Current burnout rates at work range anywhere from 40 to 85%, depending on the profession, and are increasing because of the pandemic and associated stressors. Burnout in marriages, relationships, parenting, society, politics, and finances is also increasing. An additional problem with burnout is that many people feel that the most common suggestions to deal with it often aren't terribly practical in the moment. So here are 10 considerations that are well supported empirically and in practice. First, focus on what you can control. So much of stress mitigation and prevention is about gaining an internal locus of control. Second, understand that burnout is a stress-induced condition. Burnout is the result of chronic, unmanaged stressors. And as a result, burnout is most effectively resolved by addressing the underlying stressors that are the root cause. Third, deal with the cumulative nature of stress and burnout. Stress occurs in all aspects of your life. Burnout does not just happen at work, it also happens at home, in social settings, with other, with our significant other, with our children, basically everywhere. Fourth, consider the effects of both distress and eustress. From a psycho-psychological reaction, positive stress or eustress impacts you just as much as negative stress or distress. Just because a major life event has positive results does not mean you're not affected by stress from it. For example, one of the most positive events in life is marriage. However, it's also reported as one of the most stress-producing events that people encounter. And five, change your mindset toward stress. This concept is twofold. First, don't get trapped in the negativity bias. From an evolutionary psychological standpoint, our brains are still wired to seek negative stimuli. This provided tremendous evolutionary survival instincts in our early development. Constantly searching for threats that would kill our ancestors enabled our species to survive. However, in today's environment, constantly looking at the negative is no longer adaptive. In fact, it's quite stress producing. Six, accept that some stress can enhance performance. Yes, that's right. Some stress that remains acute can in fact be adaptive in certain situations. For example, if a person is nervous about giving a big speech, he or she may spend more time researching the topic, preparing the notes and slides, and rehearsing the speech until it becomes second nature. Seven, stop multitasking. Whether at home or work, 
concentrate only on the topic at hand. Eight, don't allow yourself to feel alone or isolated. I recently spoke about burnout to a large group of fellow healthcare CEOs. When I reviewed the burnout incidents and prevalence rates that the attendees were amazed. Each of them felt that he or she was the only one burned out when they realized that 73% of their healthcare leader peers were also burned out. Nine, implement meaningful self-care. Self-care has become such a buzz concept that I fear it has lost considerable meaning and value. Effective self-care though, employs techniques that lead to overall wellness. And wellness is the integration and balancing of health factors, such as the physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual, environmental, social, nutritional, and hormonal factors. And finally, number 10, embrace what you're passionate about. It's so easy to become sidetracked or demoralized when stress becomes chronic. Finding or refinding your passion in life and keeping that as the long-term view can help to avoid the all too frequent short-term derailing that we all encounter at various times. You can access all of these stories in the episode's show notes. And if you wanna keep up with the latest industry news, subscribe to the MGMA Insights Newsletter at mgma.com slash insights newsletter. And if you have a healthcare story you wanna share with us, email us at podcast at mgma.com. This has been the MGMA Week in Review. I'm Daniel Williams. Thanks and have a great weekend. Thank you.